Travel back in time to the 80s, reliving the shenanigans. It was the early 80s, and sex was still a good way to meet new people. The disappointment. Now that's a real shame when folks be throwing away a perfectly good white boy like that. And the self-confidence. I'm six foot, three inches tall, and maintain a very consistent panda bear shape. Because just like you, we're stuck in the 80s. Sure, it's not 1985 right now, but who knows what tomorrow will bring. Hey, hey, welcome to Stuck in the 80s. It's your host, Steve Spears. And Brad in L.A. And uh, here at Stuck in the 80s World Headquarters, we're having too much fun to spend the weekend slaving over a hot microphone. So we're bringing back something all of 80s nations remembers. The summer rerun. It's a rerun. You'll find out. This week, we've unearthed a classic Stuck in the 80s interview, Loverboy's Mike Reno. Enjoy the interview and stick around afterwards for some current seggies. Radio Shack. Okay. What? The 80s called. They want their store back. Hey, Steve, did you know that Stuck in the 80s is a member of the CLNS Podcast Network and that you can find our podcast on Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and the CLNS Media mobile application? Did I know? I hear those words in my sleep. It's 100% true. But when I don't remember it in my sleep, when the nightmares fail me, and when the real demons come, I remember that I can also listen to the podcast at the CLNS Media website. And then the demons whisper the URL in my ear, clnsmedia.com. <laughs> and as always, we plead, if you love our show, share the links on social media. And don't forget to like our page on Facebook and follow us on Twitter. Okay, Steve, look, I got to go put some suntan lotion on Katie. Can we, can we get this rolling? She burns really easily. Sure, let me get this started. Without further ado, here was my interview with Loverboy frontman Mike Reno from back in 2014. Mike Reno calling. How are you? Oh, wow. Mike Reno calling. Magic words. <laughs> <laughs> I guess if you're in the business of interviewing people, that must be pretty exciting getting calls from all these different people. I mean, I know I, I'm a bit of a star nut, too. If I see somebody in a restaurant that, you know, is famous, like Nicholas Cage or something, I go, oh, my God, there's what's his name or there's what's her name. <laughs> so where are you calling from? Uh, I'm in Vancouver today. Briefly, I came home for a couple of days from uh, my last little road trip. I grouped these weekends that we play three, four shows here and there every weekend for all year long. I grouped them as, as little mini tours. Uh, we're off uh, out to Kentucky uh, tomorrow to play a show on Friday. Uh, but 
thank God this weekend there's only one concert. But we, we've been really grinding at it, uh, playing some really fun shows this year. But uh, I'm in Vancouver, sunny Vancouver. Uh, for a couple of days off, and I'm really enjoying myself. Oh, cool. I, I should say that um, to this day, I remember the exact date and place when I first saw you perform live. Um, okay. Because it was my first ever concert. It was October 22nd, 1981, uh, Lakeland Civic Center in Florida, and Loverboy was opening for Journey on their escape tour. So uh, you were the very first rock star I ever saw perform live. You know what? That is so cool. And that was our big album, Get Lucky. So between Get Lucky and Escape, there was a, a spawned a lot of hits. There was a lot of hits on that stage that night. Yeah, yeah. Uh, probably, and probably the loudest night I'd ever experienced in my life to this day. <laughs> probably, <laughs> so. yeah. Well, you know, you power up those power amps, boy. And you yeah. just, it's all about the energy with rock music, and you just push, push, and you look around, and everybody's got a smile on their face. I just love it. I'm really in a great business, you know. I just love what I do, and... I love making people happy, and I love when people make me happy. It's one big love fest, really. Has performing live always been sort of the, you know, the, the thrill versus actually, you know, being in a studio and making music? Oh, for sure. Always. Um, the studio is kind of, to me, is kind of like, oh, God. It's like the work aspect. You know, you got to go in there and pound away for 12 hours. No matter what happens, you're going to be there 12 hours. Concerts are like hit and roll, hit and roll. And, you know, you do a concert and then you're down, the, you're off. You're off to the next town and you do another concert. There's nothing like uh, live music, boy. It's just the energy. There's the, Before the show, I'm so nervous I can't even hold food in my stomach. I'm, it's just this. It's like I'm on the edge just ready to jump off, and it's like skydiving almost for me anyways. And I just kind of go, oh, my God, oh, my God. And then, boom, the lights come on, and the audience jumps up, and it's like, yeah, <laughs> super great. Oh, love it. Still today, still the same butterflies? Oh, it's even worse. I am even worse. I uh, I just completely lose it when I get uh, ready for a show. I'm like, oh, God, really? Do I have to go through this every time? Isn't it ever getting any easier? <laughs> and in my case, I guess it doesn't. Now, do you still need to rehearse? I mean, do you still have to like uh, set aside time before every outing to you know get together for a week and go over the songs? Or are they kind of like just stuck in your brain now? We haven't rehearsed in 35 years. Uh, once in a while when we're doing some new stuff, if we're got a bunch of new stuff and we want to go on the road and, and play a pile of new songs we'll get together and rehearse generally we uh, do it at, uh, at uh, soundcheck we'll go down to soundcheck for an hour bang off some of the new stuff we've been writing or stuff sometimes when we are writing songs and we're on the road we want to try something out we'll get together and have an extra long soundcheck and we'll bang off some new stuff while the guys are getting uh, getting everything already on stage. So speaking of new stuff, um, you have the new album out, Unfinished Business. And I've read that some of the songs, maybe all the songs, I'm not sure, but at least a handful of them were written but not finished maybe like even up to 40 years ago. Well, some of these songs have been in Paul's and mine's head for 40 years. Uh, 
and we just hadn't finished them. And now we decided to uh, finish them. And some of the stuff was actually partially recorded or completely recorded back in the early days of Loverboy before we had a record deal. We wrote a lot of songs, and and then we started recording stuff to be uh, put, to put out. We'd record 25 songs, finish them up, hand them to the record company, and they would choose nine songs for an album. Well, there's a whole pile of songs left over. So we did this a lot with every album. We always overwrote songs. So when uh, Paul and I and the guys were taking our two-inch tapes and downloading them to digital so we'd have them forever and get rid of the two-inch tapes that, by the way, after a few years go bad if you can't play them anymore. So we're doing that, and we said, boy, that's a good song. Boy, that's a good song. We did this all day for a week. Boy, those are some pretty good songs. We could actually put a couple more records out just with stuff we found. So that's really cool. And we said, well, let's let's put this song, this song, this song on a new album and then add those those other songs we've been writing recently and we'll add it. And then we didn't really know what to call it. So we asked our fans on our webpage to name the album. We got a lot of uh, funny replies, a lot of great replies, a lot of silly replies. And then we came up with one that we thought was perfect. And that was Unfinished Business. So the fans named it. We recorded it for the fans. So it's like a full circle deal. Everybody's happy. Yeah, I loved it. I downloaded it a, few, you know, it a couple of weeks ago at least. And uh, I think the ones that stand out to me are what makes you so special and Counting the Nights. Yeah, that was that was actually my next question. I mean, how how many of these songs are you going to be able to work into your uh, live shows this year? Uh, well, we're working in one of them this week, and maybe another one the week after. Um, here's the deal, and you got to be Steve. You got to understand. If I go on on stage and don't play one of the fourteen or fifteen big top forty hits that we had, they'll run us out of town on a rail. They'll chase us out of town with baseball bats. I mean, really. <laughs> so we have an op- an obligation to play a lot of the all the hits. But there are moments when when we can do a little extra. We can play a little extra at a concert, do a song or two extra. Those are the times we'll throw in new songs. And so we're not taken away from the Loverboy experience that everybody loves. We're taking. We're just adding a little something to help us along. You know, nice for us to play new songs. It makes us feel current and makes us feel like we're doing something fresh so we're doing it for us and if the fans uh, like it well good good So is there any plans then maybe to take some of the I mean, if you've got all these songs left over, I mean, surely you have enough for another album maybe a couple years from now as well. Absolutely. You know, like I said, and just Paul and I have been actually working on new songs in the studio already. In our own little home studios, we've been uh, working on some other stuff. I was just singing one last week. So we're always writing songs. 
let's be honest, uh, it's it's one of those kind of businesses. It's like fashion, you know. You always got to come up with a new pair of a new style shirt, even though the shirt has been around for uh, forever. They come up with new stuff every fall and every spring. It's same as fashion, you know. <clears throat> we like to come up with new stuff. That's what we do. So we're always working on new stuff, and uh, and we'll probably always just record it and put it out there. Things have changed in the music industry. You no longer <clears throat> get plaques that you sold a million records, but oh well, <clears throat> some things change for the good, some things change for the bad. Yeah, I mean, I, I, it's it's nice to see some bands that still kind of want to release music in album form. I don't think that I'll ever get used to whatever the music business has kind of devolved into these days. Me neither. You know, I'm just glad that we were around when we used to put... I remember I'd wait for an album to come up. I'd line up to buy it. I'd race it home. I'd rip it open, put it on, and read all the liner notes and just like for just play it over and over again. Like Those were those were the days. And that was that's what we grew up on. I'm, I'm older than you, I imagine. And, and that's what we did. That's what Loverboy was all about. And things are so different now. I don't really like the way it's gone, but I'm I'm you know learning to live with it. Um, do you remember the names of any of those albums you might have bought when you were a kid and ran home with? Oh yeah, Led Zeppelin, Grand Funk, Rolling Stones, Beatles. I had all that stuff. Uh, my first record that I bought was a small forty-five because that's all I had the money for, and it was uh, Ruby Tuesday by the Rolling Stones. Nice, it's a good one. Yeah, I think the first one I ever bought, I think it was ELO. Um, one of the ones I forget the name of the album, but it's from the late seventies. I I bought it based on the album cover. I like right. the art. Well, that's kind of cool. That back then, that's what people did. You know, yeah. you liked either like somebody in the band, or you liked the the album cover, or you liked the art, um, or you liked the music, or you liked all of it. You know, it was pretty interesting. Things are a little different now when you just download stuff and it's very impersonal and you know. Yeah, I I don't I don't know if you heard, but I guess it was a week or so ago that Gene Simmons from Kiss went. In an interview, was I think it was with Esquire magazine, was talking about how he thinks rock music is dead nowadays. It's like officially dead. The music business, the the recording business, it's just it's all dead. I, I don't know if you read that or if you had any reaction to it. Uh, well, I could react to it just by hearing you. He always puts his foot in his mouth. That's what Gene Simmons does. He <laughs> likes to get press, whether it's good or bad. He's just a, a press hound. He's a press slut, really, is what he is. Uh, here's the deal. Those are his opinions. And that's because he hasn't looked through the big picture. Music has, isn't dead. It's just a whole different way of doing things. You've got to learn how to work and operate in the new systems. And if he thinks music's dead, then that's good. He should roll over and, and leave it for the rest of the people that still get very excited by recording and selling the music, playing it live. I don't care if they buy it. I like to record and, and put it out anyways. Um, music's definitely, the business has changed, but by no means is it dead. It's only dead to people who haven't got any vision. And that's that's my take. <laughs> recently read in a couple places that Loverboy was one of the first bands to really jump on the MTV bandwagon and create videos for the network. Oh, you wouldn't even believe this if I tell you you're going to laugh, Steve. 
We were told uh, by the record company in New York, they said, You're, we were on tour, and I remember them saying, we want you guys to pull into uh, Albany, New York, and go over, I think it was called the Shrine Auditorium. I could be wrong, it could have another name to it, but it was like the Orpheum-style auditorium, uh, concert hall, playhouse. And this was in Albany, because we were in the neighborhood. <clears throat> and I guess what they had done is sent a crew in from New York City to set up and they said, basically, we want you to, to play a whole pile of songs off your record. And we're going to add some funny clips and stuff from different things and hand them to this new company out of New York that's doing a 24-hour music television show. And we went, okay. So we pulled in and we recorded a whole bunch of stuff. We just played live. They filmed it. And they sent all these clips, I think. They sent three finished uh, you know, five-minute clips, which they did, and this is how funny this is, Steve. They weren't—they didn't even know what they were called back then. They were just music clips, <laughs> and it turns out that they were called videos because that's how it created. That day was one day where they were called videos. The day before there was none. The day after now they're called videos. They sent them to a company called MTV, who had a 24-hour license to play music on the television. Uh, only about. 13 bands jumped on that, and so they played us, uh, the 13 bands, uh, 24 hours a day. We became uh, television stars. We were, fam- we were Our faces were famous. Before that, things were kind of faceless, unless you got a, sh- a show on in concert or, you know, the rock and roll concert stuff that played on the weekends. Yeah. Uh, nobody knew what you looked like unless they just looked at your album cover. So a lot of people, bands were faceless until... MTV was created, so one day it was wasn't there, and the next day it was there, and there's no turning back. We know, we know what happened there. Yeah, I, I remember back in '83. Uh, uh, you know, back then MTV was infamous for their contests, and I, I used to enter them all. You know, like you win like a a pink house from John, you know, John Cougar at that time. Right. But in but in '83, you uh, there was a Loverboy one where if you won it, you got to appear in the video for Queen of the Broken Hearts. Oh, I remember that. And uh, hardcore fans still know that if you look at the video at about the 15-second mark, you see the woman who won the award. She's sitting behind some computer monitors or something like that. Right. But to this day, that is still my all-time favorite Loverboy video. Oh, thank you. The, the backstory to that? No, I'd love to hear it. She is actually the mother of the girl who won. The girl who won was so freaked out, she never even showed up to get to get flown in to uh, the Mojave Desert photo shoot, uh, a video shoot. So the mother went, and they limoed her out to the desert. And on the way out there, she got so drunk from all the liquor that was in the limo that she wouldn't get out of the limo. <laughs> so finally... They almost crowbarred her out of that limo and put her on in a scene, just somewhere, because she had to be in the scene. That was part of the contest. 
she just didn't even want to do it. It was like she was just, so we, they sat her down and they just filmed her as she was kind of trying to get up, get back into the limo because she didn't want to be any part of it. So, and that's the, that's the backstory there. That's funny, huh? Yeah, that is. I, I think I had read everything there was to read about that song in that video, but that completely is news to me. That's amazing. Loverboy had a lot of success in the 80s, specifically writing for some movie soundtracks. And, and of course, you had some success personally. Um, you know, there was uh, Almost Paradise, but the band also had Heaven in Your Eyes from Top Gun and Chasing the Angels from Iron Eagles 2. Um, what are your memories about being approached and recording uh, Almost Paradise with Ann Wilson? I got a call from Bruce Allen, my manager, who said, listen, I got the opportunity to put a song in um, in this new movie Footloose they're making. And they wanted to be a duet. So what do you what what do you think? And I said I'm going to pick uh, Ann Wilson from Heart because Heart kind of grew up in Vancouver, same as uh, us. They were a group from Seattle, but they came up here for about ten years and lived in the '70s and lived here and played here all the time in Vancouver. So we kind of considered them one of our own. And I learned to love uh, Ann's voice, and they're just great people all the way around. I still. I still think they're great people. So Bruce Allen said, well, you can pick whoever you want to sing with, and we'll set it up so you can go sing, and uh, I guess we'll do it in Chicago because you're both on the road and blah, blah, blah. So I get to the studio, and we start, I'm kind of, the song's all ready to go. We both kind of learned it, and it was like, uh, she was like three hours late for the session, and they were just about ready to shut the session down, and she walked in, and she was sorry for being late, but she slipped on the ice or something and she hurt her wrist and she was kind of holding an ice bag on her wrist and I felt really bad for her and I said do you want to just forget about this or do you want to sit down and just relax for a little while and then cut this track so I got her to relax a little bit and we sat there and we got to know each other a little bit this is out in the studio with the curtains closed just her and I sitting there I think we had a, a glass of wine or something just to calm us down and then uh, after I don't know about an hour I said do you want to do you want to give this song a try? Or she says, yeah, it's a beautiful song. Let's do it. So uh, I asked the guys in the studio to open up the curtains. They ran the track. We sang it once, facing each other in the same microphone. Boom. That was it. Magic, baby. I thought that dreams belonged to other men Cause each time I got close Did the success of that song affect at all your relationship with uh, your bandmates at all, or was they were just? Oh, absolutely. Paul thought we were finished. Paul thought that if we were going to turn into a ballad band, and he got all pissed off. And it turned out that he was uh, a little premature on being angry because, um, you know, that album went and sold twenty-seven million copies, right? <laughs> 
It's like it was the number, I don't know, two or something. I don't think it ever reached number one. But um, So it made the, you know, whatever makes makes noise makes the band famous, right? So, you know, along with Mike Reno, it's Mike Reno of Loverboy. So he learned over the years to accept the fact that whatever I did, it made the band also just as famous, right? And I never wanted to get away and do a solo career. I was just asked to do this song. Next thing you know, they're knocking on our door to do uh, Top Gun. So Paul's tune changed immediately, and we got together and wrote Heaven in Your Eyes. And and that also went on to sell like 27 million albums. So uh, he now uh, has a whole new appreciation for the love ballad. Unlike so many bands from you know that have been around for this many years, how have you kept it together for so long? Well, there's, there's one thing that Paul and I did when we first started. We took our time finding the guys that we wanted in this band. And it took us over a year to find the exact blend. And we went through a few blends. Before we would put out a record and, and did any videos or anything, we, we, we nailed us, the five of us that are still together. Minus Scott, because... Our bass player was on a trip in the uh, 2000, November of 2000 and was knocked off his boat and presumed, uh, presumed dead at sea, which was really sad because he was a pivotal member of the band and my best friend. It took a while to get over that one, but what we did when Paul and I, we decided, we looked at each other and said, let's just make everybody equal partners all the way down the line so everybody is responsible is just as responsible as the next guy. It's not like the drummer just gets this and the bass player gets this and the keyboard player gets this and Paul and I will take the lion's share. We didn't do any of that. We just split everything equally. And that gave everybody the uh, incentive to be... It, everything was as responsible... You know, everybody was as responsible as everybody else. You know, equal, equal members, equal responsibility. And I think... Uh, and the fact that Paul and I took time finding the people we wanted to be with, because we were hoping this band would be along for a while. We didn't know it would go 35 years, but we thought, you know, let's let's work with people that we enjoy being around, right? So those are the two things. Took our time finding the members, and we just uh, did an equal partnership, so all the revenues were split five ways. That's super smart. Yeah. Hey, hey, Mike. Thanks for your time. Uh, Good luck with the new album. I hope you guys get down to Florida sometime soon so I can see you again. I'd like to be able to say that I've seen Loverboy four times now. Actually, we're coming to Coral, Cape Coral, Cape, Cape Coral. Cape Coral. We're coming there in uh, November on the 8th. Well, fantastic. Uh, really, I, this, the story she told, unbelievable, man. I really, I really appreciate it. Uh, you're very welcome. It was nice talking to you, my friend. So that's our interview with Mike Reno, originally from episode 321 from September 2014, when we were so young. I know. Still great, though. We were, we were so naive. Little did we know the subtleties of 
80s podcasting that awaited us. Five years ago. I, I, that is kind of hard to believe. It does seem like a long time ago. This is the 321 that kind of threw me. I'm like, wow. <laughs> dang. This is episode 510. It's fun to go back and listen to that again. He was one of my favorite. He's such a good storyteller. Yeah. And he's very, and, very chill tone. Just very conversational. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he's not bragging or anything. He's just, he's just, he loves to tell people about, you know, what he's done and stuff like that. And the cool thing is, if you come on the uh, 80s cruise in 2020, he'll be there again with Loverboy. They're, they're coming back. It'll be their second performance on the ship. And they have a reputation, uh, Mike especially. Like, they get out there and they, they're there in the crowd. Like they'll show up at the piano bar and be drinking with you. And then they'll go up there and sing a song and they'll, they'll show up at some, uh, you know, some like some small performances and just, They'll show up at the martini bar. They're everywhere yeah. on the ship. Loverboy kind of takes control of They the engage it's, in it's, the it's process, which is it's what yeah. you want from the artists, and it's so nice that so many of them do it. They set the bar high. Yeah, they do. They do. It's funny because I was talking to Brad before the podcast began, and I said, you know, if I don't have a list of all the people on the on the cruise, I won't remember it because there are so many bands on the 2020 cruise. And Bring in the me past, the scroll. Like, <laughs> scroll, scroll, scroll. You gulp down some air. Have some Gatorade. But unless you write it down and look at it right in front of you, you forget how many bands are in 2020. So here's the lineup again, real quick: B52s, Brett Michaels, Berlin, Loverboy, Grandmaster Flash, Tony Hadley of Spano Ballet, which I'm supposed to have an interview with in a week or so. Nice. Uh, Tony Lewis of the Outfield, Patty Smythe and Scandal, maybe. Her famous husband will be with her. Ooh. Lita Ford, Midnight Star, Midnight Star. We're gonna we're gonna oh. hear Freakazoid live. Oh my gosh, that's cool gonna be amazing. It's gonna be so. I can't great. wait. It's, the list continues: The Jets, The Motels, Big Country, Asia with John Payne. Did I say that already? Gosh, I, no, I don't uh, think so. <laughs> Katrina from Katrina and the Waves, Annabella from Bow Wow Wow. There's, I think they counted it up. And there's like 50 performances on the ship. Don't week. forget Dire Straits Legacy. Oh, my God, Dire Straits Legacy. I forgot about them. If you don't, I'm telling you, even my notes are wrong. There's always been this confusion about what the Stuck in the 80s promo code is. I get emails about it every day. So let me explain it to you real quick, and then we'll start the seggies, and everyone can go back to normal. If you've never been on the 80s cruise before, this promo code will work for you. If you've been on the 80s cruise before, then your previous guest discount is what you're looking for. But if you've never been on the 80s cruise... You have to use the promo code STUCK when you when book. You, first you can't book. use it afterwards. Right. You can't call later. And, right. Maybe we haven't been clear enough. So you use it when you book, and you get $200 cabin credit. So that's how it works. But you know what time it is for right now? Is it the, the Seggies? What's happening, hot stuff? Ah, by the sound of the gong, it must be time for Mystery Movie Moment. You know the drill by now. <laughs> You know the drill that I always say you know the drill by now. I, that's that's something I Tradition. say in my sleep, I'm sure. Tradition. Anyway, we play a snippet of a movie. If you can guess it, you are entered into the drawing for some swag. Uh, pay attention. Here was the clip from episode 507. The only reason people are nice to me is because I have more money than God. That was Steel Magnolias, Brad's favorite movie. I've never seen this movie. Really? Yeah. You picked you picked the clip. I know. How did you How did you pick a clip that everyone knew from a movie you've never seen? Because I'm a f- genius, Spiracy. When are you going to figure <laughs> that out? 
Okay. Uh, Mr. Genius, find a way to read all those names in okay. one breath. Here we go. I don't think I can do this in one breath because this clip was fairly popular and we're happy for the participation. We're not always trying to stump you. Sometimes we want you to come into the tent. This week's winners include CH, Brock in North Dakota, Victoria and Big Bear, Dan and McDonough, Tim from Toadsuck, Joseph Purdue, Jumpin' Joe in Michigan, Rock the Good Ag, Jeff Hurst in Richlands, Virginia, Sir James of Newcastle, Rick Parker, Nate Chops Johnson, Andrea, not Andrea Crava, Cal in Atlanta, Hope in Indiana, Mr. Whiskey, Sean Fitzgerald, Becky the Rocker Pixie, <laughs> 80s Auto Reverse, Mark Ram, Jeff from the other Weatherford, Jeff M in Asheville, Tanya in Asheville, hey, do you two know each other? Darren Myers, Anna Norcal, and Jesse Elgato Grande Smith. Pay attention. Here's this week's mystery clip. Computer said I failed that test. The computer made an error. I recommend this time I pass. You're going to do well, Jerome. I can feel it. If you know it, email us at podcast at sit80s.com. That's our website. I know you want to go it's there so someday. Exciting. I can probably contain myself. <laughs> and then tune in a couple weeks from now and find out if you're a winner. Ah, <laughs> uh, the mystical refrain that is named that 80s tune. Uh, we'll play a snippet of a song from the 80s if you can get it right. Again, the wheel of fortune will spin. Your fate will be decided. All humanity will come to an end. Uh, here was the clip from episode 507. That's Second Chance by 38 Special. I think that was my best DJ was voice ever, good. Brad. Trying to really inflect the name. If only we had recorded first thing in the morning so your voice was a little deeper. Yes. Casey, can you please play Second Chance by 38 Special? I can't picture a situation in which you would say to a woman and think it was going to work, she was willing and that's all there is. Like, oh, is that all it takes to get you in the sack with somebody else? Is someone that's interested? Was that the lyrics of the song or are you talking about some story yeah. that you want to tell me No, about? no, that's, that's the lyrics of the song. Okay. I, it's terrible. I, I, I sort of know this song. I wouldn't take him back. But I'm, <laughs> I'm telling you right now, I wouldn't take him back. Jeez. <laughs> oh, now I know why you picked this song. It's tormenting you in some weird way. Read the winners. Winners this week include, and there were a lot of duplicates from Steel Magnolia. So if you got them both, you're, you know, I pulled the Spearsy trick. You're only in one column today. Winners this week include Dave Augie August. Janet JFK Knott, Kevin Serving Wench, Dave Horn and Phoenix, Stephen Ventura, Marie and Bradenton, or as I like to say, Bradenton, Cal and Atlanta. No. Oh, no, I'm not allowed to do that. <laughs> Alan Titus, Dave in Oxford, Lou, Sweet Lou, Grilly, Chris living on the air in Cincinnati, Adams, Mike in Connecticut, Giovanni from London, and Tim from Asheville. Apparently, the entire city of Asheville is not only listening, but getting our trivia correct this week, Steve. Maybe we sh maybe we should go up there and well, it'd be up for me, it'd be over for you to uh, Asheville and do a show sometime. We could have a like a yeah, we could pop up at an open mic night and have people throw things at us. <laughs> Isn't that where the that's where the Vanderbilt Mansion is? I think the is state. It? I believe so. It's a real pain in the butt to get to from here from Florida. There's no direct flights. You have to you have to fly to like 
somewhere in North Carolina like, and then catch like a puddle jumper. And then Asheville is way up. I think it's, you know, I don't know if it's at the top of the mountains or something, but it's, it's somewhere where I'm going to definitely get car sick just trying to reach it. So the fact that I'm even talking about doing a show from there is just pretty much poppycock. Okay. So okay. anyway, we can dream. Uh, you got some swag to give away, though. I right? absolutely do. What's the new uh, situation with the bottle openers. You know, it's going really well. I mailed out the first batch of the new bottle openers last week in just plain old envelopes. I had to put a couple stamps on them because they're a little heavy. But yeah, uh, it wasn't. You know, maybe the postal carriers that listen can weigh in on this. It's kind of like a letter, but it's kind of a flat package because it's not really flexible because it's got a, <laughs> you know, a metallic bottle opener in it. But they seem to be arriving okay. So I'm pretty happy about this. It's going to be really easy for me to mail them out. I'm going to stay on top of it. The spreadsheet I, will continue to be used. I did send the cruise magnet out finally. Awesome. And it wasn't that long. It was It was only like like two months ago. that, that, that So we're all caught up. We are so all we're caught, caught up. up. But I, I, I don't know if she got it or not. I didn't get an email back. But I'm, I put it in a nice card and I, I put like three or four <laughs> uh, stamps on it. And so, you know... Godspeed, 80s cruise magnet. So, anyway, let's spin the wheel. Let's find out who's the winner this week. <laughs> and the winner is going to be Bits Marie and Bradenton. Did you mean Marie and Bradenton? <laughs> yeah, I actually like Bradenton. It's a nice little, nice little burg just south of oh, yeah? uh, Tampa Bay. It's my old haunts. Your old stomping grounds. So, Maurice, this is your postal address, and we'll uh, we'll get you on the list. I will put that in the mail the day I get your address, because all I have to do is plop it in an envelope and stick a couple stamps on it. Even that's like a barrier for me. Anyway. Yeah, but I know how to buy stamps, Steve. Yeah, and, and our good friend Matt Regal was quite the prankster and sent me a whole uh, envelope full of stamps last week. Oh, so. my God. That was the greatest message I've ever read. <laughs> Next show, when we have some more time, we will read you guys some of the, the awesome mail we've been getting. We got a lot of feedback on the Father's Day show. Yeah. Uh, we got some, some fun with that. <laughs> we did. Uh, in the meantime, uh, pay attention. Here's this week's mystery clip. If you know it, email us. Podcast at SITDs.com. Tune in a couple weeks to find out if you're a winner. We'll be back soon, I promise, with some uh, fresh new content. But if you're looking for company while you tend your vegetable garden or wait for your kids' swimming lesson to wrap up, Brad, how many shows do we have to choose from? We have, well, do we count this one? There are 509 no. <laughs> other episodes to listen to. So uh, we're just one click away in your favorite podcast app. But until then, we'll be right here, hopelessly stuck in the 80s. Stuck in the 80s is a member of the CLNS Media Network. Special thanks to Check Battery Daily for our theme music. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or the CLNS Media mobile app.